Hello everybody and welcome to the Australian Seller Podcast. My name is Chris Thomas and I'll be your host and this is the show where we talk about all things Amazon and e-commerce, whether it be private label, wholesale, dropshipping and how you can generate a recurring income either on the side or as a full-time gig. G'day, g'day everybody and welcome back to another episode of the Australian Seller Podcast. Sorry I haven't been able to put an episode out for the last couple of weeks. I've been insanely busy since getting back from India uh, but Here's this week's episode, and this week's star is Gary Huang, who describes himself as born in China, made in the United States, and uh, he's living in Shanghai these days. And in addition to running his own very successful Amazon business, he's the founder of 8020 Sourcing and the Seven Figure Seller Summit. He's a really busy man. Anyway, he's an expert on sourcing and was one of the senior coaches at the India Sourcing Trip. So, of course, we struck up a bit of a friendship together while we were there. And today, I thought it would be great to get his take on sourcing from India and the differences between sourcing from India versus, say, China. No real announcements this week, so don't forget to join the Australian Seller family over there on Facebook at theaustralianseller.com forward slash Facebook. And let's get on to this week's chat with Gary. Welcome back to another episode of the Australian Seller Podcast. Today, I am thrilled to have Gary Huang, who I met recently at the India Sourcing Trip in New Delhi at the trade show there, the India Home and Handicrafts Show, I think it was called. Gary, is that right? Yeah, I think you're right. The Delhi Fair. Delhi Fair will do. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Much easier. Um, And we had a great trip. I mean, it was a week of not only sourcing from the trade show, but a lot of education as well. We learned a lot about the sorts of products that you can source from India. We had an extraordinary day where we went down to the Taj Mahal and many other things that we did too, a day trip around India, uh, around India, wish, uh, around New Delhi. And um, yeah, it's just amazing. So what I wanted to do today was really just pick your brains because I think this was your first trip to, uh, to India and you've done a lot of sourcing. In fact, you own a sourcing agency out of uh, out of Shenzhen, right? Or no, you're actually in Shanghai. Is that right? I used to um, I used to offer sourcing services previously, and I'm based in Shanghai. That's right. Yeah, cool. So, sorry, I'm kind of just talking uh, and and sort of holding the interview all by myself. So, why don't we just uh, get 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 on with this show <laughs> and let's let's have an introduction from you. Tell us about you and and your story. Excellent. Thank you so much. Chris, first of all, for having me. I'm very honored uh, to be on the Australian Seller Podcast. And I know there's a lot of enthusiastic and eager entrepreneurs down under. So I'm happy to share anything of value that can help out. And I'm super honored to be with your, to uh, with you today. Um, so quick intro. Um, so I'm, my name is Gary Huang. And I was born and raised in the US. Uh, if you can't tell by my accent. Um, I like to say that I was made in the USA and exported to China. So uh, born and raised in Los Angeles, grew up there, went to university there, and I came to China in 2008. Uh, Long story short, uh, I kind of stumbled into uh, a job doing sourcing from China based in Shanghai. I did that for many years. Um, So basically, I've helped clients uh, manage multi-million dollar sourcing campaigns, um, so I visited like over a hundred Chinese factories. So I've really seen like the good, the bad and the ugly sides of the whole, you know, China sourcing. Um, so, um, it was about 2016 when I created a website called 8020 sourcing. So I really wanted to uh, bring some light into what some people call like a black box because there's a lot of 
unknown unknowns in the sourcing world, a lot of, you know, uh, tricks people play. So, um, so I run a site called 8020 Sourcing. And also, um, I um, host an online virtual summit called the Seven Figure Seller Summit, where I interview various million dollar e-commerce sellers and entrepreneurs, um, and then, um, you know, learn how they do it. So um, the listeners can do it too. And yes, uh, going back to your question, this was my first time going to India. It was a very amazing experience, not just on the business side, but also on the cultural side, um, just learning about the, the vast differences and some similarities, uh, you know, sourcing from China. So I'm uh, happy to share more if, uh, if that's a good, good enough intro for you. That sounds fantastic. That's exactly what I want to focus on today. So um, obviously there are some pretty big differences. So why don't we just sort of talk first off about the main differences that you see between um, sourcing obviously from China and versus sourcing from India. What were the, what are the main sort of takeaways there for you? Yeah, I think the number one thing that a lot of sellers are worried about right now sourcing from China is the trade tariffs, you know, with the whole U.S.-China trade war. So that could add another, you know, 25% or 30% on top of your already, you know, your, your costs, right? So number one biggest difference is if you source from India, you can really circumvent these tariffs. So you, you won't be privy to the same 25%. Um, I think that that is the biggest thing um, in terms of the cost savings. But number two, the biggest difference is um, just in terms of the selection of the products, because, you know, obviously China has had a head start, you know, in, in terms of the whole manufacturing world, the whole, you know, export world, I'd say they're probably 15 years ahead of uh, where India is at. So you really cannot find the same broad selection of, mm. you know, products that you can find in China. I mean, there are some, some strong, um, you know, industries that we can find. In India, I think, you know, we can talk more about that if you like, but just in terms of the selection, don't expect you can replace, um, you know, China with India just overnight. Um, I think those are some of the key differences. Um, one of the biggest surprises for me personally, I don't know about you, Chris, is the fact that in India, they're willing to do minimum order quantities or MOQs as low as like 25 pieces or 50 pieces. If I talk, you know, went up to a Chinese supplier and I said, I want to order 50 pieces, they'll be like, get out of here, you know, buy, you know, they're not even interested in talking to you unless you're talking at least like 500 to a thousand. Yeah. So I think that's another, um, you know, big difference that I was surprised about that can work in your favor. Um, if you're an e-com seller, because you can, you know, afford to place smaller bets, you know, mm -hmm. smaller initial trial orders to kind of, you know, test out these products. Um, That's right. Just, yeah, just some high level thoughts that came to mind. Yeah, I agree. And one of the things that they entertained as well often was like an MOA. So they were sort of saying, well, if you spend $5,000 with us, everything that's on show here at our booth is um, is up for grabs. You can order, you know, one of those and 10 of those. And, you know, so the MOA or the minimum order amount was a, another really interesting approach that they took. Uh, yeah. But the MOQs, <laughs> I was just ridiculous. And you could have quite a big range of products that you could be hitting Amazon hard with uh, for not very much money and, uh, and have a wide variety. So you don't sort of load up on one big skew. Um, you can, you can sort of fire some little test shots with some of the products that you find at the, at the new daily trade yeah, show. So great. yeah, it was, it was super cool. Um, yeah, I think you're right about the kind of the product selection. You can't really go to the India trade show and expect to, or the new daily, new daily trade show and expect to pick up like silicon spatulas, for example, it was sort of, yeah, there's, there's not a lot of that sort of silicon slash plastic molding side of things happening there at all. Um, and very little electronics yeah, yeah. as well. It was much more kind of handicrafts, wood, leather, 
Uh, what else do they have? A lot of textiles, glass, heaps of Christmas decorations and things like that yeah. as well, which is really good. Yeah. A lot of metal and yeah. quite a lot of furniture too, which was quite interesting. So yeah. they were and also main... eco-friendly products as well, Chris. Oh yeah, you yeah. There's a lot of like eco-friendly biodegradable products. Um, I think some of them were made from like recycled um, like water bottles. You know, I think they were very innovative, you know, in terms of doing that. And India is really big on, um, you know, the whole eco-friendly scene. And I think the, the local law in Delhi is that they don't even allow any plastic bags anywhere. So if you go to a supermarket, if you go to like a convenience store, they don't even give you like a plastic bag. You can't even pay for one. You know, there no. is like no option. So it just goes to show they're, they really have like a very eco-friendly um, you know, attitude um, when it comes to uh, the environment there. They do. It's funny. I was talking to one of the um, locals there um, who was saying that five years ago in India or maybe even 10 years ago in India or particularly in New Delhi, there were like plastic bags just being thrown around in the wind. Mm. And now today you just don't see any plastic rubbish really much at all. So, uh, yeah, it's been extraordinary the way that they've turned things around there. And, um, yeah, they're trying to do their bit. There was a lot of, just on the product side, just talking of eco-friendly products, there was a lot of uh, things like palm leaf plates, um, for example. A lot of um, kind of bamboo, you know, forks and spoons and things like that that people might use at a party, you know, sort of um, compostable and degradable, biodegradable products. Bagasi was one as well which is the cornstarch um material it's kind of like a paper sort of semi-cardboard made from waste cornstarch or corn, uh, i can't remember exact material it was made from but again totally compostable biodegradable uh yeah so there was a, a lot of those sorts of products as well which is really exciting yeah definitely what do you think of the quality of some of the products that were on show i think the quality at the show um I was surprised. The quality was quite high. It was higher than I expected. I mean, this was my first time going to India and I had always heard about like, you know, the, the cheap uh, labor force. So I assumed the quality would be, you know, cheaper or lower than China. But I mean, maybe it was this trade fair, you know, they just specialize in high quality products, but I was very surprised. I mean, in terms of like some of the lighting fixtures, you know, I, you know, I would see the same thing in like a, you know, like a lamps are us or like, you know, one of the, the top notch, you know, lighting supply stores that you see in the U S. Um, so I was pleasantly surprised. Um, what did you think, Chris? I'm curious. I was stunned actually just by the, yeah. the quality of, of the production, the timber, the finishes, the, uh, the joinery, the, you know, the, the ceramics, the glass, uh, even the leather products, you know, like the bags, um, uh, there were things like aprons and oven mitts, you yeah. know, made from leather. There was just, yeah, and the, the stitching and the quality of those products was was fabulous. And just on the leather, I mean, we were lucky enough to also enjoy a factory visit as well to a leather factory, yes. didn't we? So yes. um, what was your impressions of that, say, compared with the leather factories of, say, China? Yeah. Um, so this factory, I'd say, was about one hour outside of downtown Delhi. Mm. And um, this was... It, it actually was a couple of factories adjacent mm. to each other, if I remember right. correctly. So right. the main one specialized in like leather manufacturing, like leather bags, uh, leather wallets, uh, purses. And then um, I, I noticed that one of the, the key things there is just like everything was like very manual labor intensive. So they, the workers had, you know, in the workshop, it was very, um, you know, close quarters, but it was still mm. very organized. It wasn't dirty at all. You know, it was nearly like, um, you know, like, like dirtless. I don't know if they like 
you know, clean it up because they knew we were coming. But at least, you know, when I was there, I was pretty impressed by that. Um, in terms of the equipment, I saw like more reliance on like very traditional sewing machines as they were sewing the leather. Um, you know, these are like the machines from like our parents' generation, Chris. So, right. I mean, they've been around for maybe like a hundred years, you know? Um, and then, um, in terms of, uh, you know, they were like hand finishing a lot of like, you know, the leather, they were like hammering it, they were cutting it and sewing it. Mm. Um, if you compare that to China, um, typically you, you do have manual labor, but you have more machinery, more automation. Um, so for example, the, the following week I went to Shenzhen, I visited a, a factory there and granted they weren't doing leather. They were doing like backpacks and bags. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I saw another sewing machine, but this sewing machine was semi-automated. It had like a nice L LCD monitor with like a pattern on. So basically like the stitching was already digitally saved and inputted mm. into the sewing machine. So all the worker had to do was just like place the fabric there. And then the machine does like all the sewing itself. So wow. it removes some of that, you know, labor, uh, the manual labor out of it, kind of like the human error and also in terms of like the time saving. So I think that's one of the key differences between um, India and China, because India is still very reliant on the labor force because mm -hmm. they still can do it because the labor force is a lot cheaper in India than in China. Whereas China on a whole, you know, they've progressed over the last 15 years. Now they're trying to rely more on automation um, equipment to take advantage of that. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, it, if that makes sense. And just it like does. one other thing, one mm -hmm. other thing that jumped out to me um, when we were at the factory, Chris, was... Um, you know, the leather was domestic, right? It was from India, but some of like the trim and like the zippers and stuff, I noticed like I saw in the hallway, there was a box there, like a paper carton. And then it, it, it had YKK, you know, like the YKK yeah. zippers. Mm -hmm. and, and I saw the address, it said Shanghai, China. So apparently they're importing like a lot of, you know, maybe like the more high quality zippers or like these types of, um, you know, buttons, et cetera, you know, from mm. overseas. So I think that that's a difference as well. If you do want to get like some of like the nicer, like, um, what do you call it? Accessories. Accessories. Uh, yeah. You, yeah. You may want, uh, the factory may have to import from China, which is fine, but you have to consider the additional lead time and the mm. cost. And I think the lead time that that's another key difference. Um, you know, kind of um, on a side tangent, just talking to the suppliers that we met at the fair, um, the lead times will be significantly longer from India than China. You know, I was getting quoted like 10 weeks, you know, factory production time, whereas normally in China, we expect about, you know, four weeks a month, or six right. weeks tops when they're busy. So definitely mm -hmm. there will be a longer lead time. Um, mm -hmm. yeah, th those were some of my impressions from the factory. Totally. And, uh, and I think as well from that factory visit that, just to your point on, on automation, one thing that you probably need to anticipate or expect is that there will be slight inconsistencies because of the handmade nature of a lot of the products that you would be ordering from, from India because yeah. pretty much everything is slightly, you know. I mean, they do a really yeah. good job at creating like consistent, for example, patterns. A lot of like on a lot of the ceramics, for example, like on a plate, you know, they actually do it all by hand. It's not sort of like a, a, a stamped kind of print. So they have a yeah. little that they use and they but but you get that it's actually a really nice feature but it, it does create some potential consistency issues which may be a customer not used yeah. to yeah uh, I, I think it, it's like a double-edged sword Chris mm -hmm. you know like on one hand you know maybe there are imperfections if you want like a machine lot of like 10,000 of these 
like I don't know, like stainless steel, like water bottles, then maybe if there's imperfections, that's not a good thing. But if you're doing like handmade, you know, like handicrafts or like mm. gift items, it kind of adds to that like rustic charm. Uh, you know, depending on on your niche and your product. So I, I think you know it could be good, but it could be it could be bad. You know, it's like how you can market it. That's right. Yeah, totally agree. Did you happen to see any other Amazon sellers at the show? Um, I did actually. Mm. Um, yeah, because it, it's funny because I, I run eighty twenty sourcing and I have like a free email newsletter, and mm. then some people actually came up to me like. Hey, you're Gary, right? Like I, I follow you, your newsletter. <laughs> and then cool. they, 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 um, they explained to me that they're Amazon sellers. One, um, one guy is an American guy. He's actually working in India and, um, yeah, he, he was selling on Amazon. I think he's, he's no longer, but mm-hmm. uh, another one of our friends that we met, um, Aaron in mm. India, he's selling on Amazon as well. He's also an American based in, uh, based in <laughs> India. Do you remember yeah, Aaron right. Hughes? Yeah, yeah Aaron, Aaron Hughes. I had him on the show yeah. a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, just yeah, yeah. You had trip. Aaron on the show. Yeah, I remember. Right. Yeah, yeah, he's yeah. an Amazon seller. And then I also met um, an Indian seller as well. Um, he, he's doing very well. Um, Varun. Varun. Um, I know. Group. Yeah, he's one of the Gosh. coaches. He's yeah, he's uh, yeah. he's blowing it up in Amazon India. So uh, definitely, it can be done. It can yeah. be done. I actually put a little video that he filmed of his operation as chaotic as it looked, but there were literally thousands of bags of parcels going out to Amazon customers. (laughs) He was selling hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands of units a day. And he had a little kind of fulfillment house of his own. um, Yeah. Yeah. Totally chaotic, but like anything in India, it it seems to work. Right. So Yeah. 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 Just extraordinary. Yeah. He's really blowing it up kind of low, low margin, but massive volumes flying through there. Huge volumes. Right. Absolutely. The other question that I had for you as well, and just your thoughts on using an agent out of India versus maybe going direct at someone at the booth that you might be thinking of sourcing from at, a, at say, a trade show. Would you be leaning towards more going direct through a manufacturer or a distributor, or would you perhaps lean towards more looking at getting an agent to assist with, with your India sourcing? So, I mean, from my perspective, to be totally transparent, this is my first time going to India and first time sourcing from India. And um, my answer will be yes and yes. So I would both get a quote from a sourcing agent and cool. I would get a quote from the, the people that I met at, uh, at the show. This way, at least I can compare. And then not only like the bottom line price, but also like the communication process in terms of, you know, maybe the sourcing agent can find like a broader selection of products I can't find on my own. Um, so for me, at least at this stage, I'm kind of having like a beginner's mindset. I'm just leaving my options open. Um, Mm. you know, in China, I always say to cast a wide net, you know, if you can, you know, get RFQs, you know, send out RFQs, request for quotations to as many suppliers as possible. And then once you have this initial pool of information, you know, the specifications, the the pricing, Mm. the lead time, payment terms, then you can kind of, you know, get a lay of the land and then decide, you know, shortlist from there based yeah. on what you're getting. So I'm applying yeah. a similar approach by no means am I an expert, but um, that, that's just what I'm doing right now. Uh, mm. I, I'm curious. What about you, Chris? Like same question. What, what would you do? <laughs> I'm definitely leaning more towards probably going with an agent just because of the, some of the information that we were educated about, particularly around packaging material, you know, like products to be yeah. sent from India. So it's really important to understand, say, the climate, you know, just little things like that, that yeah. 
if uh, if you make an order for I don't know some some textile products and they're they're packed somewhere where the, where the humidity is really high, you might end up yeah. with products arriving in the United States, for example, that are slightly mouldy. For example, yeah, that's so sort of maybe just having somebody on the ground there that that kind of knows the logistic layer of the land, which is kind of coming up to my next question, but also the yeah. be able to negotiate a little bit uh, better for you. I wasn't. You know, one of the things that we see a lot in China is the sort of the China price for Chinese, and of course, then there's a Westerner price. Didn't seem to be as much of that. I don't think happening in India. I think the the pricing seem reasonably stable, um, but I do think that a, a sourcing agent can provide a lot of comfort. So you might be paying a, a slightly higher, you know, kind of percentage uh, to to have a sourcing agent assist you. But maybe for your first couple as a new seller and a new sourcing you know, dude from, from India. Yeah. Might be worthwhile. Yeah. uh, Yeah, No, I think that makes a lot of sense. I mean, especially if, you know, you're dipping your toe in the water for the first time, you know, it's Mm -hmm. like a whole new culture, a whole new environment, like what you said with the humidity and, you know, like you might have to like include an anti humidifier in the in the, uh, in the container just to make sure, you know, like all of these potential pitfalls, if you can find someone trustworthy, like a sourcing agent, I think that, that could add a lot of value. So yeah, that makes a lot of sense. That was the thing I think that I noticed the most from my conversations with Hanuz and Gunjan, even Aaron, you know, who, who does sourcing as well or works for a sourcing company over there and sells on Amazon himself. So yeah, it was, a, it was really learning the intricacies of, of sourcing products, where those products are made as different areas yeah. of like some of the paper products, the handmade paper was done up in Japur, I think. Um, is that from memory? Because it's quite close to like the desert there. So it's quite dry, which means they can dry the paper. And whereas right. there were other, you know, a lot of the textiles are based more in the south, although silk, I think, is sourced from the north. So it's kind of, you know, yeah. really interesting the way the geography works and the way that things yeah, are um, yeah. manufactured. Yeah, that, that's a great point, Chris. And then, you know, people actually say that India really isn't one country. There's like, you know, different regions that have different cultures and, you know, like this region may be strong in leather. The other may be strong mm-hmm. in um, wood, for example. And then I, I was really surprised, um, like the different parts of India, like the Indians speak different languages. So, you know, mm-hmm. I, I was trying to learn some words of Hindi, you know, from, uh, from Adi and some of the other guys on the trip. And then mm-hmm. I tried to practice it with some of the other Indians that I met. They're like, oh, I don't speak Hindi. And, you know, he looked Indian, but, you know, apparently, you know, he was from the south of India and they were Tamil and then they speak like a totally different language. And then I said, so how do you communicate? He says, oh, when I come to Delhi, I only speak English. So I was really shocked that, you know, India, I mean, it's not just one country. You have to have like the separate mentality. You know, there's like different regional clusters. I think in this sense, it's a little bit like China because, you know, in China, even though everyone, you know, speaks Mandarin, that's the standard, you know, official mm-hmm. language you know mm-hmm. if you're in shanghai there's a local shanghainese dialect if you're in guangzhou there's a cantonese dialect mm-hmm. and they That's sound right. very different so mm-hmm. you know they have like different cuisines different habits and you know different strengths as well mm-hmm. you know like in terms of manufacturing for electronics definitely you would go down to shenzhen but Absolutely. if you want like some other products you, you would have to you know go somewhere else so i think mm-hmm. that's another similarity with the different regional differences in india and in china what did you think about the communication skills um you know, obviously you're on the ground in China. English is a unifying language of India, thanks to the British, I guess. But I found it a lot easier to communicate with with potential suppliers in India than I did on occasion in in China. What were your thoughts? Ann? Yeah, yeah, I thought that the communications. You know, when I'm in India, I I, I could just rely on English, and mm. that was fine. Um, you know, at the fair, 
and following up over WhatsApp. Um, mm-hmm. it, it was pretty, uh, pretty smooth. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I did, um, get some advice from some of the, the sourcing agencies that, um, you know, for anything firm or important, you want to go to email, like don't keep it too loose on WhatsApp. If you know, whether it's like mm-hmm. specifications, you know, we're talking about samples, right? Like with mm-hmm. one of the suppliers that I'm talking with in leather. And then, um, you know, we were like going back and forth over WhatsApp, but I just wanted to make sure that you sent me an email with like a full spec sheet. So, you know, nothing is off. Um, in terms of like the actual yeah, nice. communications, like the words, I mean, that's totally comprehensible. But if you kind of read behind the lines, like I think one of the examples that we noticed on the trip was like the concept of being on time. Um, if you say like, let's, let's meet at uh, two o'clock. Right. I mean, two o'clock could mean like two thirty. It could mean three o'clock when, you know, even though we're speaking in English, like in India, like the, the, the punctuality and like the tightness of time could be something different. Uh, I think there's some cultural nuances behind it, but Mm. I mean, there, there was like one of the key words that we learned was, uh, paka. Paka. Yeah. Yeah. Paka. So that means like for sure. So you would have to say two o'clock, uh, paka. And then, Mm. you know, they would kind of like, "Mm," like, you know, they were, you know, kind of think twice to see if they can really do it at two or maybe it's actually like three o'clock. So yeah, I think right. even though, you know, we're speaking the same English, there's like, you got to read behind the lines mm. a little bit in terms of like the whole background behind it. Totally. What, what do you Great. think, Chris? So, yeah. What were your, what are your thoughts about that? Yeah, absolutely. And look, you know, Pucker was explained to us that it is a, a sort of a, it's, it's a way of trying to get a really solid answer on a question that you might be asking. And um, often, yeah, this sort of sense of time is that it's often explained by, well, you know, I could have been there at one o'clock when you asked me to, but I was kind of spending quality time with somebody that's really important to me or, you know, I was in a meeting with someone else and I didn't want to cut it short because I really respected our time that we were sharing together. So there are actually quite often quite good reasons for the sort of the looseness of the, of the, the meeting, meeting punctuality and experience there. So that kind of made sense to me. And yeah, I think you've just got to kind of roll with the punches a bit. You know, the country does in a lot of ways flow like water as they describe it quite yeah. accurately. There's, it's kind of like an hourglass of traffic, for example, there's just a lot of people maybe trying to get through an intersection and then it all sort of fans back out again. Right. Um, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's a really, really dynamic and, and fascinating place to visit. Absolutely. So that was yeah, my sense of it. it um, we have to wrap up shortly. I'm sorry, but I was just sort of thinking um, just around logistics, I think was one area that we haven't really covered. What were your thoughts there about um, getting inventory out of India? Right. So in terms of logistics, um, my understanding is the the whole logistics network in India isn't as developed as China. So mm. it could take longer to move goods from your factory to your port. And also because of India, like, you know, geographically, you know, it's surrounded by the water, like the ocean on two sides, right? So depending on where you're shipping to, um, you could save some time or you can waste a lot of time as Mm -hmm. well, like in terms of logistics. So for example, um, I believe if, you know, you know, I'm not very good at geography, but, but if you're shipping, you know, if, if India is like this, if you're shipping from um, the closest port to Delhi, I think it was um, Neva Shiva. That was the name of the port, yeah. if I remember correctly. If you right. go from Neva Shiva, um, when you ship to the U.S., the shortest route is actually to New York. It's not to Los Angeles, Long Beach, you know, the same as China as you would go. Mm. So if you went from Neva Shiva 
to New York, I believe it would take about um, 28 days, if I remember correctly. But if you go to um, Los Angeles, it would mm -hmm. take like two weeks longer. I mean, like, I, I'm not sure if the dates are 100% correct, but mm -hmm. you would have to like strategically ship to the closest port. So if you're used to shipping from China, you know, typically you're going from Shanghai to LA, you know, that could take about three weeks, right? But mm. if you're sourcing from India, you have to consider, you know, both like the inland transportation, they say that it, it can take longer. Um, and also, you know, going from ocean, you may want to ship to the East Coast. I think, um, you know, mm. one of the, the other coaches in, in our group, um, you know, Marge and Kevin, um, mm. they share this experience as well. Um, the other right. thing that, that was unique to India is um, monsoon season. And I was talking to some of the, the sourcing agents there. They said, especially in the fall, you have to be careful of monsoon season because it can disrupt the whole road network, the transportation network, and cause a lot more delays. I mean, because I believe some of the factories, they're actually like partially open. I mean, like they may have a roof, but maybe like there's like wall mm. or no walls. Um, so you really have to be aware of this and factor in um, about two weeks buffer time on top of your um, lead time. And also in October, that there's like 17 days of holidays. There's yeah, Diwali. Right. And then there's right. some other ones yeah. also. You, you know, uh, yeah. So I guess it's kind of like Chinese New Year almost, um, at, least, at least in this time of year. So it's like a whole new um, you know, calendar and you know, logistics mm -hmm. that, that you're, you're going to deal with. I mean, it, which is not to say I'm not trying to, to discourage people, mm -hmm. but just be aware Anytime you're going, you're shifting your production, you know, from mm. one country to another, um, just be aware of these, these challenges. Fantastic, Gary. I totally agree with that. I mean, I think they've got more holidays in India than pretty much any other country that I've ever been to. So, <laughs> so you got to really watch well, out. Well, Chinese New Year is pretty long. Uh, That's I mean, true. Depending on, on uh, you know, how many people, how long they're going to take off. But yeah, yeah you're right. Yeah. It's, well, it's a very um, secular society. So there's, you know, we've got um, Islamic, we've got Hindu, we've got Sikh, we've got Christianity. So they tend to observe holidays for just about everybody and everybody yeah. gets to celebrate with everybody else, which is really fun too. So yeah, it kind of makes sense. It's quite a unifying thing. Um, anyway, um, have you got any final thoughts on the trip itself? Uh, Megla's trip, it was extraordinary. The, uh, you know, the, the trade show as well and, and just sourcing from India. Is it something that you're really um, excited about and will be certainly considering or, or indeed are you actually acting on it now? Definitely. Um, so first off, the trip was really excellent. Um, the India sourcing mm. trip that Megla Bardwaj put together. Um, mm. You know, I've known Megla for many years and uh, you know, she has a lot of experience sourcing from China and also from India. So I think mm. if anyone's going to put it together, I think she is the right person to do this right. And mm. as you know, as we saw from the trip, um, it was it was kind of like a crash course in India, sourcing, doing business and culture wrapped into one, at least for me. Um, I was going in with like a blank slate. So, I mean, I learned so much in terms of sourcing, um, you know, uh, basics of doing business. Also, I made some really good friendships, you know, yeah. yourself included, Chris, and Thank you. some of the other great people yeah, on, on the trip. I really enjoyed it. Mm. Um, I, I think that it is an investment. Um, you know, it's, it may not be for everyone, but if you do want to, you know, maybe shortcut the process, I think it could be um, a, a great way to do it. And um, you, you can also, you know, get some cultural, um, mm. you know, experiences as well. So I, I think, you know, I, I do recommend it if you, if anyone that's interested. Um, I think sourcing from India is very important right now, given the trade war. If you mm. look at the big players like 
um, the Nikes, the you know the Adidas, is mm-hmm. the WalMarts. You know they're already they've been going out of China since 2014. Um, mm-hmm. So naturally, you know, it makes sense to diversify. Um, mm-hmm. For me personally, I I am getting some samples made. I'm sending out some RFQs from some of the suppliers that I met, and also mm-hmm. I'm contacting some of the sourcing agencies in India. Um, I, I was surprised to find some products that. I have not seen in China before. So mm. I think it can be a good way to differentiate yourself Absolutely. Um, yeah. versus just like me too products you find on Alibaba. Um, mm. You know, most of the Indian suppliers that I met, they're not on Alibaba. So just, you know, getting your, you know, getting your feet wet going to India. I think that that could be one way you can differentiate your products. Um, but it is a lot to learn. I mean, like even mm. for someone like me, I mean, I, I don't call myself an expert, but I've been doing this many years and I just try to go in with like a beginner's mindset. Um, you know, so I learned a lot and I, I think that it, it is one of the next steps that we're looking at going into 2020 and beyond. And, um, I, I actually, I prepared something from, uh, for your, um, your podcast listeners, Chris, uh, I didn't tell you, you about this in advance. This is awesome. Uh, yeah, so I prepared uh, India sourcing cheat sheet. So it talks about some of the, the best practices that uh, we mentioned and also uh, some of the, the key industries that you can find in India. Um, and if your viewers are interested, um, is it okay if I share the, the URL? 100%, 100% okay. Gary, that'd be awesome. Yeah. Excellent. So um, you can get it at www.8020sourcing.com slash seller. So that's as in uh, hey, Australian seller. Yeah. So <laughs> awesome. yeah, that's Thank you. you. Uh, yeah. Maybe if you want to link it up in the show notes. Absolutely. Or, I will uh, let people know. Um, and also they can also sign up for my free email newsletter if they're interested um, mm-hmm. to get more updates about sourcing best practices. So um, yeah, I, I just really appreciate your time, Chris. Thank you so much for, for having me on. I, I really enjoyed it. I hope it's valuable for you and your listeners. Uh, I'm sure it will be Gary. And it was an absolute joy to, I think actually catch up with you again. I think we did stumble across each other in 2016, maybe at uh, the global sources summit, but it was wonderful to, to really uh, connect seriously connect uh, in India only a few short weeks ago. And yeah, I can't wait to, uh, to hang out with you again and hopefully we can do it all again, maybe in April next year. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm definitely going. So, so yeah, I'll be there. Um, Hopefully you will be too. And thanks heaps. Uh, Yeah, I I will be going. I just, I just confirmed it with Megla, so I will be there as well. Brilliant. So, yeah, awesome. we'll have round two, my friend. Thanks, thanks, mate, and uh, talk, to you, talk to you real soon. Thanks again. Perfect. Thanks so much. Talk to you. Links and show notes for this episode can be found over at theaustralianseller.com forward slash podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast platform. Sign up to my email over at theaustralianseller.com and I'll send you a note each time I publish a new podcast episode. Thanks so much again for listening.